Tracina, when you think of the word goddess, what comes to mind? I think of a very strong, beautiful woman, someone who is just admired by so many people. I also think that she's got some spiritual powers because when I think of a goddess, I think of Greek mythology, people like Athena. Hmm. Yeah. Well, we heard about a living, breathing goddess over in Nepal called the Kamari goddess. And it got us thinking, maybe our perception of what being a goddess is like mightn't be reality. Could it be that being a goddess might even be linked to issues of social injustice? This is Social Just Us with Tracina and Michaela, exploring issues of social injustice from around the world. To find out more about the Kumari goddess, we caught up with an aid worker who had first learnt about the Kumari during her time in Nepal. As you'll hear, the Kumari goddess is a value tradition that's kept by millions of Hindus and Buddhists. So to be respectful and to not hinder the relationships between the aid organisation and the Nepalese communities, we've decided to keep her and the agency she works with anonymous. Here's what she had to say. When our team went to the palace um, where the Kumari goddess lives, we were taken through the process of what happens with a Kumari goddess. So um, they can be inducted, um, it's uh, pre-pubescent age, so they can be inducted from the age of three to five to be a Kumari goddess. For those who are listening who are like, what are you talking about? What's this goddess? Can you just maybe dive into that a little bit and explain What's all that about? Yeah, so it's pretty much like their queen or princess um, and it's a Hindu um, religious and cultural tradition which is considered by families and government and pretty much everyone in the country that it is a great tradition to be a part of and if their child is taken from them, we'll actually give permission but if their child is a Kumari goddess, they receive some esteem for it so Mm. they actually think it's a great thing for their family. So what happens is that a number of girls are inducted of a certain caliber so they have to have um, very uh, white skin, no blemishes they're selected because they are deemed as clean before they get their period Um, so they can't have any cuts on their arms either. Um, They'll come into the palace and then um, buffalo heads and goats heads will be Um, severed off and they will be placed around the palace and the first girl not to cry is pretty much crowned the Kumari goddess. Mm. What happens after that? Do you know much about the process with them going from being a girl to then becoming this goddess? Yes, so they live in this palace. Mm. Uh, Their family is allowed to visit, but infrequently. They're only allowed to go outside the palace approximately 13 times a year and their feet aren't allowed to touch the ground because their feet are classified as holy. And when they go outside in these ceremonies and festivals, people will kiss their feet uh, because they feel that they will be healed miraculously from their powers as a Kumari goddess. So they're not allowed to walk at all, not even in the palace when no one's there. They can walk around in the palace. Okay. But mainly when they go outside, they're not allowed to touch the ground. And so is the idea that the goddess kind of lives within them. Yes. And also I heard that they come to the window and people will come and when she opens the window, if they if she looks at them in a certain way, uh, they will be healed from certain sicknesses or maybe she looks at them a certain way where they know that they're possessed or oh. have an evil yeah spirit. So it's all perception really. But there's yeah. also this this belief that this girl goes from being a girl to a goddess that has this like supernatural kind of powers. Mm. 
is this now her life being a goddess? No. So when she actually gets her period, uh, her first menstrual cycle, she's actually uh, asked to leave and go back to her home because that is deemed as unclean in Nepalese culture. Period or bloodshed in general? Yeah, any kind of bleeding is deemed unclean. So she goes from then, just so we, we're clear, she goes from being this divine kind of power within her, this, this goddess, to then being back to being a, a young girl again. Living with her family in the community. She might be back into a community which is impoverished, mm-hmm. but her family does receive uh, not only um, esteem from being, um, having their daughter be a Kamari, they do receive um, some money and royalties. Well, the, she also receives receives money and royalties for being um, the mm-hmm. Kamari goddess. So she can bless her family when she goes back. But as far as uh, returning to lifestyle norms, there are a lot of issues around that as well because um, one Kamari goddess reported that it was uh, a real struggle for her to walk properly. When she becomes to the age where she wants to marry, many men um, will not want to marry her because there is a, uh, with regards to her mystical powers, that they may die. It impacts her lifestyle um, for the future. And especially in a country um, that, you know, deems, you know, marriage and family um, to high regard as well. I mean, to strip a female of the right to marry and the right to then, you know, have children. Because I do, I do know um, there is a negative stigma when it comes to um, premarital sex and premarital, you know, children via that. And so then that hinders her opportunity to even have children. Mm. How about in terms of education? If a girl has been a Kumara since the age of three and then leaves, say she gets her period at 16, are they educated in the palace? There was a law back in um, 2008 that education is um, meant to be mandatory and that became out of a Supreme Court decision when there was uh, social justice advocates that wanted this whole practice um, abolished. So during the Supreme Court uh, ruling, they did say that um, education had to be mandatory for the Kumari goddess, but they didn't abolish the act. So uh, there are many human rights activists out there that would like to see this um, abolished. So I'm listening to this and I don't want to play devil's advocate, but I'm about to. It sounds like it could be, you know, a positive thing. Like this girl goes and mm. lives royalty. It's like imagine yeah. being seen a as goddess. being a goddess. And uh, as a as a girl growing up, you know, I used to pretend play that I was a princess and loved mm. it, you know. So how is it seen as a social injustice? Yeah. Why is this an injustice, Beck? Yeah, well, I believe it is a social injustice as a three-year-old child is incapable of understanding the process and lifelong implications. Mm. Every child deserves to grow up in a safe, supportive and nurturing environment that supports their aspirations and also their developmental milestones, regardless of religious or cultural traditions. I further believe that the child's physical, emotional, cognitive and social needs must be made a priority so that they can reach their full potential. And I believe it goes against the 1989 United Nations rights of the child um, because it clearly states that children are to be raised by their parents and to be protected from exploitation. Nepal is a country. Are they signed this convention? Yes, they are a signatory to the convention. One of the points for the United Nations conventions on on the rights of the child is that the children have the right to relax, play and to join in a wide range of leisure activities. So Mm. that would be something that would be stripped from the Kumari uh, because obviously they can't play or be part of their community, their families. Mm. So that would be something that would be taken from them. And I can imagine as well um, coming from, you know, living a certain way and then being back in your community and if you've spent 10 years 
being treated as royalty and then that shift and that change could be quite psychologically damaging to a child. Yes, definitely. Has anyone tried to do anything about this to show that this is an injustice to a child? Well, not since the Supreme Court ruled that education needed to be mandatory for the Kumari goddess. Um, As far as that, I haven't seen any other activism towards it, um, Mm. but there may be some that I'm not aware of. Uh, So I would definitely would like to see something happen. As a country that does favour the male over the female, and we see it in the terms of education, we're looking at this as a social injustice issue, but is it a good thing for women being treated as royalty, as goddesses, being carried by men through the streets? You know, can we see it in a different way? I wish we could see it in a different way. And maybe because I've been raised in a developed country, I am uh, not used to seeing these kind of practices. So... I still believe, though, if a woman has been carried outside and she's been worshipped um, for her uh, mystical powers and her healing properties, I believe that she's not being honoured as a child, really. Mm-hmm. Um, she's been honoured as someone who has these mystical powers mm-hmm. and she's not allowed to live her life as a child, as a three-year-old, which is the current age of the Kumari goddess. It seems a little bit like, you know, the child's being used for what she can do for or what they believe that she, she has the power do. to do. Mm. Yeah. And I don't think that's really dignifying her as a person more what her title is. And the mm. fact then that it goes from being worshipped to being stripped of that privilege and stripped mm. of that kind of honour seems like it would be, again, emotionally damaging to a child, uh, to anyone really, but to a child as well. Yeah, definitely. I haven't been to Nepal, so it's the first I'm learning of this. And obviously it's a practice that's not quite widespread either. So what would be one of the ways that uh, people that are from developed countries that aren't in Nepal can help in this situation? Is it not going to visit the Kumara when they go to Nepal if they ever do? What do you think is some answers to that? From a developed country, you can research and find out ways that agencies are helping on the ground, how people are advocating for child rights on the ground and investing your money in these programs. Um, Raising awareness about the issue, educating yourself about the issue is key. I know that working with the local communities and seeing where are the gaps, how can they on the ground um, educate their communities and advocate for not only the rights of the child but uh, especially against violence against women. That's one of the big ones that they're currently advocating for. Um, And also in regards to utilising their natural resources and how um, they can uh, release themselves from poverty. And I think as someone who's gone to Nepal as well, it's such a beautiful place and the culture is beautiful and I, I, I would highly encourage anyone who's planning on travelling to, to visit the country and I think the best thing is to be aware, mindful and maybe perhaps even just think about the ways that we treat children as a whole and treat females as a whole and just be able to ensure that what we're doing is in a dignified and respectful manner as well. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to hear more. If you have any topics you'd like Tracina and Michaela to discuss, get in touch at socialjusticepodcast.com. You can also keep up to date on your socials, socialjustice.podcast.